Let's recap the B&B principle. The first B stands for birthday and the second for bleach. The principle of birthday states that wherever you go on planet Earth, you will never in your life bump into somebody who does not have a birthday. What birthdays do is inform people that before this day they did not exist. Having not existed, you couldn't have possibly created yourself. Having not created yourself, you couldn't have possibly know on your own what to do with a life you never created. Therefore, B. The second B stands for bleach and is representative of the principle that whatever existed before you arrived on planet Earth will not change its reality just to accommodate your needs, dreams, fantasies, wishes, thoughts and hopes, like bleach. By the time you arrived on planet Earth, bleach was not a friendly drink. Therefore, even if you beg, plead, cajole, threaten, bribe, explain logically to the bleach that it's anyway wet in a bottle and you're on the point of dehydration, it will not become a friendly drink for you for the simple reason that it is not motivated to accommodate your needs, dreams, fantasies, wishes and hopes since it does not need you as evidenced by the fact that by the time you arrived on planet Earth it was here before you. It is therefore independent of you. It therefore will not accommodate you. If you want to remain safe from bleach, you are dependent on the people who were here before your birthday, who are in the know, who will share with you the rules of bleach so that you can accommodate those laws. So that all of life is a massive attempt to discover the rules of life from those in the know who were here before us so that we can accommodate those rules so that we remain safe and happy. Today's class is bringing out the oneness in Hashem and understanding that since there's only one Hashem, He's always and easily accessible because you are part of Him. Since you never existed, says BMB, then you have to ask yourself, how did I get here? And the answer is that Hashem had to create you. And Hashem describes how he created us Jews by saying, Ki Hashem, em Hashem is saying that he, so to speak, put a part of himself in us, a portion of himself into us. So if we want to know what we're all about, then it would be worth a while um, exploring what Hashem is all about. Because then we're going to get to know ourselves. Since he put part of him in us, then we're going to know what we're all about. Compare this to pagan gods, man-made gods, that the manufacturer of that god, little uh, idol, had no way of putting himself, his soul, his virtues, his thoughts, his attributes, his personality, his desires, his wishes, his dreams, his spirit into the silly clay or wood or stone, whatever nonsense he made out of it. He couldn't put him into it. So that essentially there is absolutely no connection between the manufacturer and the idol. No way. But does it mean in the clay itself? If Hashem created clay, right? Does it also apply to things that aren't that are like clay that aren't like human? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, the when Hashem created the hierarchy of existence, He created doimim tzameach chaimadaba. Doimim is like clay, an animate object. Tzameach, things that grow. Chai is an animal, madabe. So, yes, they in in a, up to a certain extent. What inanimate objects do is they 
express Hashem's will that he wants to have an inanimate object, but they also express that he is very much limiting that inanimate object according to his will. Just like um, a good parable would be an architect who created a house. So what when you visit that house, you can trace back the thoughts and the desire and the vision of the architect. But it doesn't, the house doesn't hold in it the soul of the architect, the living experience of the architect. You, when you walk into a house that's empty of people, it's a very different atmosphere to a house that's full of people. Once the house is full of people, people's souls and spirit and energy and vibrancy and dynamism and fusion and chemistry start uh, acting, you know, with... with human excitement, human connection that's bonding. So in the same way, yes, the inanimate object, the clay and the and the tamayach and the world of vegetation and the chai and the animals and the madab and, you know, the rest of the world, yeah, they express Hashem's will, but they also show that he chose to limit their creation according to how he wanted it to be. But an, uh, a um, the manufacturer of an idol isn't even capable of doing that. The only thing he can create is as far as his uh, imagination goes. And not only that, he's limited to the raw materials that are available to him. Suppose he decides to create an, an idol today out of uh, uh, wood and there's no wood around. He just can't even do that. He can't even control what his eyes going to look like. There's no wood available. And they believe it's all coming from the, the, the idol itself, or they think there's like a force that is expressed through the... They have all kinds of, all kinds of beliefs. All of them rooted in nonsense. Okay. All kinds of different uh, mythologies that they think. But the Gemara says that Hashem deliberately sometimes made their requests, their desperate to please and requests, made it actually work for them in order to trip them up. Just like Hashem can also make that a false prophet, his words may come true. But how will we know that it's false if he's asking you to violate Hashem's laws, which were here before your birthday, and before, before the false prophet's birthday, then you will know that it was a false prophet. The fact that a false prophet said that he's going to do a miracle and did a miracle and it happened didn't make him into a real prophet. It's, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the Pasuk warned you that Hashem may do that to test you. So let's go back to the theme of today's class. Today's class is to discover what is Hashem all about so then I will get to know what I'm all about. Because he invested his middos, his virtues into us. He calls us, Hashem Amai. That Hashem said his people, us, the Jewish nation, we are a part of him. So by getting to know what he's all about, we're going to get to know what our true strengths are, hidden deep inside us, the, true, the godly wisdom and treasures inside of us. And it's also going to help us be more in tune and in touch with our strength. It'll also mean more intuitive. If a person has confidence that he has the 
greatness of Hashem himself inside him, then he's going to feel closer to his own greatness and more opportunities and more um, strength to, to actualize it in real. Interestingly, the word chelek, part, in Hebrew, it also means chalak, also means smooth, easy. So what we're learning from here is that whatever we perceive as part of who we are is easy for us, it's smooth for us, it's natural for us, it's organic for us. We see this even in our interactions with people that Look at think of the expressions we use when we want to say that we feel bonded and connected with someone. We find ourselves naturally saying, "We're on the same page." Or if you want to say, "I don't feel close or connected to her. I feel distant from her or him," we say, "We're not on the same page." Interestingly, knee jerk, which the language of human beings really reveal what their inner definition of this essential concept is, that when we want to say, um, I, I don't think this relationship has any future, we say, we're not on the same page. We don't, meaning to say, we don't find it natural, we don't find it smooth, we find it, our relationship is going to be complicated. What's going to complicate it? The fact that we don't, feel a sameness about anything. When Hashem says, that we are part of Him, He's really letting us know that it's easy and natural and smooth and uncomplicated and organic for us to be like He is. Like He is great and forgiving and amazing and larger than life and not petty and can overcome his hurt and his grudges from the way we treat him and just be patient and kind and loving and giving uh, constantly and never being tired of giving there for us. We have the strength in us. Hashem made it halak, smooth and easy for us to relate to him. We, we find ourselves saying, we can say about someone, oh yeah, we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common means I feel part of him. I feel part of her. It's smooth. It's easy. We're having an easy time bonding. The same thing if you would want to say, no, this is not happening. We say we have nothing in common. Nothing. And then nobody has to even um, re-ask you because you made it very clear we're not connected. Even though we're both part of the human race. But we don't see... I don't see myself in her or him and he doesn't see or she doesn't see myself in me. We're not looking at the same thing with the same loving eyes. We're not sharing a bond. When Hashem is saying, I made you part of me, He's saying, we're on the same page. We're on the same, we're bonding. Everything is natural. Everything is smooth. It's easy. Since Hashem is all over and there's only one of Him, and I couldn't have created myself, and He created me to be part of Him, whatever is important to Him, it's going to be easy for me to be important for me too. Whatever He values, it's going to feel natural for me to resonate with that also. The, 
the connection is easy and natural and and bonding. That's really the essence of the pleasure of the relationship. What's interesting is that we know from our experience that we actually don't experience pleasure in a relationship that we don't find smooth and easy and bonding. We don't, it's not a source of pleasure for us. For some reason, it's a source of pain. It's a source of, of complications. In sociology, they call it the dislike of the unlike. That human beings by nature have a dislike to people who are unlike them. Now you could say, why is that way? It could, be, could have been the other way. You could enjoy the challenge of finding someone totally different and wow, and it's going to be a great opportunity to explore a whole new vista and it will broaden my horizon and I'll become smarter and wiser and more exposed to things. But no, emotionally we do not enjoy that experience. And Hashem is telling us, I made you like me. You can love me and I can love you. We're on the same page. It's halak, it's smooth, it's natural, it's easy. It's, it's a ve- there's a very interesting chasam um, sofa. says a fascinating thing. He says that when the yin went out of Mitzrayim, they... Um, they saw that the Mitzrayim were pursuing them and they were in front of the Yamsuf. And basically, they had to choose between the devil and the deep blue sea. I guess that's where the expression comes from. What are they to do? Either way, they're going to be killed. So um, it says that there were a few people, um, the clients were divided into four different groups of people of what the response was. Sure. Some said, let's fight. Now, sometimes says the truth is, why didn't they fight back? The Pasuk says, V'chamushim ala b'nei Yisrael. B'nei Yisrael went out. Rashi says, Hamosh means they went out armed. They had plenty of weapons, ammunition. Why didn't they just fight back? They had no reason to assume or presume that they won't be successful in their fight. After a year of dazzling, mind-blowing, heaven-piercing Nisim, where Hashem was totally, totally changing every law of nature for them for a year straight, taking them out to Israel to Biyad Ramah, taking them out, why wouldn't they think that Hashem would be on their side if they would choose to fight back? Hashem promised them, I'll take you to Harasina in glory, in, in, you know. So why didn't they fight back? So some Soifer says that they, some of them said, look, it's true that Mitzrayim really deserved that we should really beat them to a pulp, you know, and just kill them out. And we have the capability of doing so given our ammunition that was available to us but at the end of the day they hosted us for 210 years and we are a dignified people we are a grateful people and I'm not saying that they treated us the best all these years but they gave us a home for 210 years and we are not an ungrateful people if Hashem wants to fight for us and save us, so be it. But we are dignified. We don't kill people who hosted us for 210 years. And Hashem was so blown. Hashem said, you're so grateful, you're so dignified, you're so big. I split the sea for you. 
even though the memory of what they did to you, how they enslaved you and they tortured you and they abused you, is still so fresh in your mind. But if you have such enormous power and dignity of strength of spirit, you are able to rise and transcend way, way, way above that saying, we don't kill our host. Hashem said, I split the sea for you. Now, I have got a hunch. I have no evidence for this, but this is my personal hunch that lately in our community, it has become largely publicized that if you want to, you need a salvation, you should find someone who has been terribly hurt and insulted and chooses not to respond and to just not to return a hurt with a hurt and they'll get a bracha from them. So this was actually made public by, I believe, by the stifler, who um, the story goes that a childless couple came to him uh, with their medical reports that there was no hope for them to have a baby, and he said he also has no solution. The only thing he can think of is if they can find someone who was very insulted and didn't respond angrily and return the herd and then gives them a blessing, there will be help. So apparently... The story goes that they were helped, and that was the beginning of how this got publicized, and people have had many such stories. So I'm saying that perhaps this Sam Soifer is the source of this idea that not returning a hurt and an insult can be the source of Yeshua. After all, it does say that um, you know finding a zivig is like Kriyas Yamsov. And, and some people, my sister told me a story of three people who got engaged. Uh, they're having a hard time finding a shidduch. They got engaged by getting blessings from people who didn't return the insult. And maybe this is the source for it. Lately, be, it became publicized. So it's such a fascinating thing. This, the, those Jews who responded this way were not really... Um, responding, we're not killing out the midstream because at the end of the day they host us. It's so fascinating because three months later it got revealed at Har Sinai that it's an official command from Hashem in the Torah that says Loi Tesaiv Mitri. You may never hurt a Mitri, you may never because because you were sojourners in Mitzrayim 210 years. We are not allowed to bother them. And so Hashem says, you, these Jews who came to this conclusion three months ahead of time, they were very intuitive, they're very in touch with their godly soul and their godly spirit that Hashem put into them when they were created. Because the fact of life is that this was Hashem's desire and plan and will and vision and um, intention that he would command us and instruct us with exactly this official command. You have to still treat the Mitzrayim with respect because they host you for 210 years, even they didn't do, they were abusive to you. So they knew God's will ahead of time. That's really very fascinating. And how were they able to know it? Know it by tuning deep into themselves 
because knowing that being part of Hashem is going to give you information about yourself, about what Hashem is all about. Because if Hashem put part of Him in me, if I know what He's all about, I will know what strengths I have, what I'm all about. And when I will tune in with that part of me, I will be actualizing my connection with Hashem. So that that's what it means to really be one with Hashem, to use the part of Him that He put in me, His good midas, His good... That's what it becomes me. So the source of this is really in the Pasuk that says, Hashem said, Hashem said, let us make man in our image. So who is the our? So there are a few explanations. One is that Hashem, he consulted with the angels. And so part of us is like angelic. Actually, we're greater than angels. How do we know that we are greater than angels? Because an angel does not know how to create a Jew, a human being. But a, human, a Jew knows how to create an angel. If you know how to create one, that means that you are larger than him. You are greater than him. He can create me and I can create him. It's a fascinating thing. The angel can fly all over the world in one minute. I don't know how to do that. It would take me hours and hours and I have to get into a plane. And yet, I know how to create an angel that knows how to fly around the whole world. I know how to create the angel and that angel doesn't know how to create me. Our powers are stupendous. If we would spend a few minutes thinking about our stupendous powers, we would be blown away But what little creators we actually are. Hashem made us into little creators. Ner Hashem Nishma Saddam. The Pasuk Mishlech says, Hashem says that he has a candle. He created himself a candle. And who is that candle? The soul of man. Imagine being Hashem's candle by which he looks at the world and provides light and fire to the world. That's us, the Jew. So, one explanation who Hashem was talking to, Nase Adam, let us make man, Betalmenu. So he was talking to the animals. The animals were already created by them. And what did Hashem do? Hashem took the best part of each animal. Each animal has their own strength. And he put that strength into man. Let us make man together. The good part of each animal. Animals have a very strong, powerful self-preservation instinct. They'll do anything to survive. That's the source of man's relentless ability to be resilient and to survive no matter what. Animals have the ability to protect themselves uh, against people who attack them and try to threaten their survival. The Jewish nation also, we have to be, doesn't mean that we, we're kind to everyone because we're like Hashem, who is Rahman Vakol Masov and is a Kela Rahman. We, those ones who want to hurt us and be wicked to us and who violate the laws of the Torah, we don't have no pity for them. It's, it's not a mitzvah. Shaul was punished for having a pity on Agog. 
this, to such an extent that Hashem had to tell Shmuel, why are you still mourning over him? I already rejected him. Why are you being a bigger Rachman? Why are you being more merciful than I am? And the source of this truth is also coming from the same concept that since Ki Hashem Amai, Hashem made us part of him, and Hashem said that he does not desire the the um to be um merciful on the wicked because he's not helping them. It's not really mercy, it's it's false mercy. The Pasuk then Hashem says, What is the source of um Jewish compassion? The source of Jewish compassion is that the Pasuk says in Devarim Yud Gimel Yud Ches, Venosan Rachamim, Hashem says, And I will give you mercy, and you will be merciful on others, and I will multiply you. Meaning, only the mercy that Hashem gives us to spend by being merciful on others is the only kind of godly mercy we should be using at the right time. If it's not the kind of mercy that is the right mercy for people who deserve that we should be merciful on them, it's not godly mercy, then it's not the right thing. That's why Shaul got punished. Because our source of mercy is Hashem. So when we spend it, it has to be a godly type of mercy. Being merciful on wicked people is an ungodly mercy. It's like, how do we know that evil isn't part of Hashem and that love is who Hashem is? And part of his love is that he is not merciful to the wicked. Because being merciful to the wicked means giving them more opportunity to destroy themselves more. So, because if you look at life, we know this from personal experience. What do people who hate do? Let's say terrorists, right? We are always, we as a Jewish nation are always being hurt and attacked by anti-Semites, terrorists. What do they do? All they want to do is take. What do they want to do? They want to take people's lives. They don't want to give life. They want to take life. So you see that people who are hateful and wicked are by nature takers, not givers. Most of the people want to give life, give happiness, give compassion, give concern. Nobody says, I want to give hate. Everybody says, I want to give love. Love is a giving thing. Hating is a taking thing. And and they so the terrorists are so out of it that they wouldn't even express themselves, I'm going to take hate. They don't say that. They say just I'm gonna kill. It's just a way of saying, I wanna take you take pleasure away from you. I wanna take life away from you. I wanna take away from you opportunity to be, to give, to practice mercy. So that it is no mercy to be merciful on the wicked who just want to take. That's not merciful. That's not godly mercy. It's the opposite of Hashem. It's the opposite of God. So that our only source of mercy can be the one that Hashem planted in us from Him. And since there's only one of Him, there's only one source of true mercy, godly mercy. 
So that it's because there's only one of him, when he takes away and kills out the wicked and practices revenge on the wicked, he's being merciful to them. He's stopping them from giving them more opportunities to be more wicked so that they hurt more people, so that they have to be punished even more. So with Mitzrayim, when they didn't attack them because of their hakaras at Right. was that considered an act of... It was a godly act. It was the right thing. It was the right thing because Hashem said, look, their wickedness, I'm taking care of. You, from your part, you still owe them a certain level of gratitude because they hosted you for 210 years. Think about it. When we came down, Yaakov and his sons came down, we were starving. So first, they hosted us, gave us, we would have died from hunger. It was a time of starvation. Then they gave us a beautiful place to live. Goishim was a nice, spacious place to live. Then they gave us an opportunity to grow our families. We arrived 70 people. We left 600,000 males over 20. It's over 3 million people. Somebody was feeding us. I'm not saying it was under the best circumstances, but we survived. Then spiritually we know that we were sent down so that it should be a Korah Habarzal, so that we could become the nation that's Amashem, that's ready to accept the Torah spiritually. We needed some cleansing, and the slavery did the cleansing for us. So maybe they didn't mean to clean us out spiritually, but they did us in that sense a favor. But the fact is that they still hosted us. So how are we to know? Because Hashem took care of their wickedness by the year of Marcus. And later, then when we made that decision that we know we're not uh, fighting back, Hashem responded immediately that it was the right thing by splitting the sea for us and taking care of the wickedness and drowning them. So we need to... Um, be intuitive. Okay, we had Moshe Rabbeinu as our leader then also. If he would have thought it was the right thing to fight back, he would have told us to fight back. So you can always check in with Da'a's Torah as to Hashem's Ratzon. But the purpose of this discussion is to fundamentalize that at our source, we are one with Hashem's goodness and kindness and greatness, which will also include defending ourselves against the wicked when necessary. Because it's not kind to allow wicked people to perpetuate their evil plans. It's not, we're not being even kind to the wicked person itself. Never mind that we're endangering all the good people and all the victims. Well, never mind that we're endangering life and it violates the laws of life, defeats the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is so that we're all givers and compassionate and kind and give to each other. Apart from that, we're not being kind to the wicked person himself. That's what's problem, the problem with liberals. Liberals don't want to discipline wicked people. Let them go, let them go, let them go. That's not kindness, that's cruelty. That's because they don't want to be disciplined. They love nobody but themselves. And they don't want anyone to discipline them and to punish them for their evil. So they say no one should be punished. 
that sounds very good, you know, very loving and compassionate, but since it's not from a godly source, because Hashem himself doesn't do that, this, your source of Rahmanas isn't the kind of Rahmanas that Hashem gave you, put inside you, that you should spend for others. I, I tell you a muscle that I, I uh, think of. One of who you really are. There's a, a story about uh, um, a person who um, was was Jewish but not religious. And he was not interested, motivated to keep anything religious ever. And he... Um, but one thing had a burning desire. He wants to be a Koyan. For some odd reason, he wants to be a Koyan. So um, one day he saw an ad in a reform shul, all the services they provide, religious services, they thought, maybe I can pay to become a Koyan. Okay. He goes in, he knocks the door, he goes tell the reform rabbi what his burning desire is, and he asks if he provides that service, and the rabbi says, yes, we provide that service. For $5,000, we provide that service. So he was a rich fellow. It didn't make much difference in $5,000. He was ready to do it. He made him an appointment tomorrow. He said, tomorrow you'll fill out a few forms. We'll tell you how to be a koyan. You have to learn how to dichon and to say the priestly blessing. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll go around. He made up a ritual. You'll go around the beamer seven times. You'll say certain things. And after about an hour, you'll be a koyan. Okay? He's thrilled. Come. And he invites his wife and his children to the ceremony. Afterwards, we're going to celebrate. We're going to party. Finally, my dream, my life is becoming true. I'm going to be a coin. Okay, after they do the whole ceremony, the rabbi says, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? He says, is there any other Jewish ritual that you keep? He says, nothing. So you don't want to No, nothing. Shabbos, nothing. I don't keep anything. So why do you have such a burning desire? What's so why so deeply connected the idea of being a koyan? Why do you want to be a koyan? You like to say priestly blessing. What is it? So he said, I tell you the honest truth. I don't feel connected to anything, but I do know for sure that my father was a koyan, my grandfather was a koyan, my great-grandfather was a koyan. It's a family tradition, so I also wanted to be a koyan. So we're laughing because we know that if your father was a coin, you are a coin. You don't have to pay any ritual for that. What this, the point is that Hashem is telling us, Ki Hashem amo, you are part of me. I put myself in you. The part of me, why I wanted to create a world, why I wanted to give life to people, I wanted to give people the opportunity to be great and amazing and kind, is that's what I put in you, that's who you are. And the reason Hashem chose us as his beloved chosen nation is because we demonstrated to him enough times before he actually officially, you know, anointed us and, and incubated us and made us his official nation that we are three traits identifiable by Yidim. We are Rachmanim, by Shonim, Goim, Lechasadim. By nature, we are merciful. We are modest. We are, we, we, you know, we admit that we didn't create ourselves, so we don't know how to do life on our own. We're humble about it. We're not arrogant. We don't pretend that we know how to do life. We follow Hashem's laws because we know that we didn't create ourselves. And we are going like I said, and we are kind people. The Amad of Chesed organization 
Uh, in the Jewish nation, it's like go to any gemach listing, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's it's unbelievable. My brother says in Bnei Brak, there's a gemach for babies. I ask him, how's the gemach for babies? He said, there's a central location in Bnei Brak that if a child is lost, everyone knows that you bring the child to that location, and the first thing the parents or family would do is come to see if the child was there. Instead of sending around search parties all over, if you find the missing child, this is where you bring it. He says that in Bnei Brak, there's a gemach for pacifiers in the middle of the night. It's in the front of someone's house, in a central location, a bunch of pacifiers, every size, every company, that if your baby's driving, driving you crazy in the middle of the night because you didn't, and you can't find this pacifier, if you want, you can drive over there. There's Tylenol, baby Tylenol, there's medication, there's a few things for you in the middle of the night. It's always open. It's in the front of someone's house. What people don't think of, we are drunk on chesed. We are drunk on chesed. So another thing um, I thought about as a marshal, um, you know my friend Tammy, Tammy Carmel? <laughs> so she has this adorable little girl, Ayeli. You, do you see her when you went? Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, she's adorable. So when she was a little kid, I used to go there a lot to uh, help take care of the kids and keep her company. And so she used to have this nightly ritual that she had a little bag of coins uh, by her. Those days she still had a crib. And every night she would count it. She had no idea what she's doing. And make sure that nobody took her money. And when she was satisfied that nobody took it, she would make a little knot on it and hang it on her crib. And then she was good to go. She would go to sleep. In a few minutes, I would tell her story. I would sing to her. And then she was a la-la-la. But every night she had this ritual. And one time I came and I asked her, so what are you going to do with this money? So she told me that she's going to buy more plates and dishes for when the people come to visit her mother. She makes them pizza. And sometimes she's missing dishes and plates because a lot of people are coming. So tomorrow she's going to buy more of them. I said, okay, I'm going to go with you. So the next day, she asked me to come with her to the toy store because she needs to give, serve people pizza. And we went to the, she gave me her bag. She took her bag of money and she buy with her. And of course, there was no way enough money there for what she needed, a toy set, a dish set, a pizza set. And, but of course, I, you know, I took some money and I went with her in Sheffa and we went to the store and it took a long time to choose which dishes set she wants and which pizza set she wants and all that. And so, and then she gave me her little bag of money and I added my own and we gave it to the fellow and she came home all smiles. She couldn't believe her luck. Her mother got a lot of visitors and she was jumping up and down with excitement, giving them all pizza and asked them what else they want and ice cream and which kind of toppings they want. She was entertaining and it was a happy family. Came to putting her to bed. So, so of course, suddenly she realizes the money isn't there. So she says to me, give me back my money. I said, we, we bought the dishes with it. And suddenly her eyes grow rounder and rounder, glaring, blazing with anger. She stares into my face and she goes, I saw you. You took my money. I saw you give it to the geschäftsman. 
the ma- the man who owns the store. I saw you give it to him. Like, give it to me back. I saw you give it to him. And I said, oh, yeah, of course I gave it to him. I gave it to him so that we should buy dishes with it. That's what you gave it to me for. No, now give it to me back. You're a gunner. You're a thief. I saw you give it to him. Now give it to me back. And as much as I tried to explain to him, there was no one to talk to. I saw you give him the money. Now give it to me back. Okay, I saw that this kid has to go to sleep. I said, okay, you're right. I go to my coat pocket. I take out all the coins I have. I take a little plastic bag from the kitchen. And I make a little knot in it. I said, okay, here's your money back. I thought, you have to go to sleep. You don't get it, but you have to go to sleep. But no, I was thinking about the story. I was thinking, you know something? Do we sound like that to Hashem? You know something? We own nothing. Our birthday tells us that we never used to exist. From ourselves, we own nothing. From ourselves, we couldn't have given ourselves any good middles, any compassion for others, any virtues, any life, any capacity to give, anything to give. We own nothing. Hashem created us. Hashem gave us the will and the desire and the middles and the rachmanus and the compassion to be able to give to others. It was meant to give to others. So to speak, Hashem puts us all in this world and He gives us a certain amount of money. What would be the money in this marshal, in this parable? Good middles, desire to give, wherewithal, resources, money, brains, good looks, good ideas, Whatever resources Hashem provides us, that's the money He gives us. Then Hashem says, take the good middos that I planted in you, the Rachmanus that coming from me, the Rachmim that I gave you, that's because that's who I am, Take the good medicine that I give you, the compassion I give you, and use it to be compassionate to others. Now, we know that it takes a certain amount of self-sacrifice to be compassionate and giving to others. You have to be resourceful. You have to think, what are you going to give? What does the other person need? How can I best be there for them? Then, But we go and we exchange the money, meaning to say, the good virtues that Hashem gave us, the compassion that He implanted in us because we are part of Him, he give, we go and we exchange that to be able to have the merit, the zuchus, to be able to be giving to others like He created us to be that way, to create those type of angels that we are capable of creating. And then what happens? What do, do we sound like Ayali? Comes to go to sleep at night and she says, I want my money back. Sometimes we don't appreciate enough what we got for that giving away our money, giving away our good minutes. We got for it the merit, the zuchus of giving to others, of giving life to others, of creating others, of helping others. We don't appreciate it enough. As a matter of fact, we feel now I'm deserving. I want something back from Hashem which we fail to realize that the greatest thing Hashem can reward us with is the merit that we had to give to others. And even though it's very interesting that what did little Ayali at three years old, what did she want 
to spend her money for. She wanted to spend her money for to buy dishes to give to others, to give people pizza. Even though on a certain level she had awareness that it's not real pizza. But it was so important and precious to her because of her godly spirit inside it that she's created with a godly spirit. It was so pleasurable to her to have even the just, you know, simulated, created, imaginary feeling I'm giving to others. It was worth everything to her. What did she want her money back for by night? Maybe to buy more pizza tomorrow, more pizza, more pizza. So... One thing she doesn't understand, but everything makes sense really in being a child of Hashem in what we really want. So how is it possible for a person to be so altruistic and giving and giving of himself? Because we're created like Hashem. Hashem just has pleasure from giving us and giving us and giving us. He's not wanting to take for himself. The only thing he wants to take for himself is the pleasure of giving us. And so when we hold precious inside us, these good middos that we have from Hashem, we will find true pleasure being a giver, just like Hashem. Because that's the reason he gave us all these good middos. And since there's, again, since there's only one of him, we can experience his oneness through our good middos. When we see that we have the opportunity to practice good middos, we know that we couldn't have given ourselves this greatness of knowing how to have good middos. Hashem had to give it for us, and we are using it in the right way, which makes us in turn more godly and gives us more opportunity to give. So, another way is when we see Hashem's uh, forgiveness, the end of the day, you know, Hashem is really very tolerant of us. We don't, we mess up sometimes here and there, let's, let's be honest. And he still keeps giving us life. I mean, it doesn't happen that because we spoke Lashon Hara, we suddenly find ourselves with no teeth. Even though if he wanted to, he could have made that, all our teeth fall out. And he could have made anything happen, you know. And uh, But he doesn't. He's always waiting and waiting and waiting. There's a beautiful story I read that happened here, um, it says, 50 years ago at the wedding of Rabbi Romdov Oybach. That's the Rav of Tiveria, and he's the son of Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Oybach. It was the Poisekadot. So um, he got married to somebody whose name was Werner. So his father-in-law's name was Rav Werner. And in those days, at the Chasna, the main course was fish. And unfortunately, by the wedding, the fish was spoiled. It wasn't fresh. In the middle of the Chasna, Rav Shlomo Zalman Oyebach, the Poisekadar, he went to the office of the hall, the administrator, and he said to the manager, it could be that my Mechutan, Rav Werner, will tell you that he doesn't want to pay for the fish because it's spoiled. I wanted to tell you not to worry because I'm also going to pay his part and you will be paid in full even the fact that the fish is spoiled and we don't have to pay you la locha. But if he doesn't want to pay for it, I'm going to pay everything. So don't think you're losing money on this wedding. Don't go around saying that you're losing money on this wedding. So the manager smiled and he said, just a minute ago, 
Mechutin Marvona was here, and he said the exact same thing. He said, don't think you're going to lose money, because I'm, if my Mechutin doesn't want to pay his part, I'm going to pay his part. This, this is a true Kiddush Hashem, a true good Mechutonim on the same page. And because, but the truth is they did something very godly. They transcended their own little here and now to be able to do something that's way, way above. Where does a human being get the strength to be like that? Only because he's created Hashem's image. So let's talk a little bit about what Hashem is all about so we can know what middos we have. So some of it we see in, um, there's a pasuk in Micha that we say by Tashlich, and it reads, Mi kel kamoicha noisu avoin va'oval pesha, l'sheres laknasu loi hexiklo ad apoi kuchafetz chesed hu. So there's a sefer called Tomadvara, and that sefer describes all these 13 attributes of Hashem to give us an idea of what he's all about, to give us the information that we need, to give us the understanding that were we to choose, to tune into those middas, they really live inside us. So if we have a proper definition and a description of what are the strengths of those middas, we could actualize them for ourselves. So let's go through some of them. You know, when... Somebody insults you very, very much or is very abusive to you constantly, constantly, in every which way. What do you think to yourself? Deep down in your heart of hearts, what is your thought? I wish I can get rid of him, right? Somehow I wish I can get rid of him, right? But usually you can't. You're not a murderer. You're not planning to be a murderer. And if that person's in your life, this is it. You can't get rid of them. So what do we do? Psychologically, we do all types of tricks of how we get rid of them, how to get rid of them. We distance ourselves from them. That's how we get rid of them in our mind. We don't visit with them, so we get rid of them in their proximity. But Hashem, the truth is that He can get rid of anyone. If somebody is being wicked and violating His laws and defeating His purpose in creation and just completely being wicked, if Hashem wanted, all Hashem would have to do, what would Hashem have to do to get rid of someone? Nothing. The second Hashem refuses to supply that person with lifeblood energy, veins and articles, fresh blood supply, in that minute, oxygen, in that minute the person drops dead. What would he have to do to get rid of someone? Nothing. And yet Hashem doesn't do it. There are billions and billions of wicked, wicked, wicked people walking around. Jewish liberals, reform, all that. They're wicked. They're really wicked. And who is supplying them with energy to be more wicked? That's Hashem. But why does He supply them with energy? The Sefer Tom of says is because Hashem has a midah. And the midah is... The description is Mikael Kamocha, who is like Hashem. His midah is that he will supply them with energy in the hope that they will repent. 
It's always waiting around, hoping, hoping, hoping they'll still repent and trying to give them opportunities to repent. So meanwhile, what is he doing? He's waiting. Hashem says, you have inside you the strength that even when somebody's acting wicked to you, doesn't mean you have to hang around them. But you can still deepen your heart, never give up, and always harbor hope that maybe one day they will still repent. And don't write them off forever. When you do that, it's such a godly thing. It's such a compassionate thing to still have hope that someone repent. That Hashem says when you do that, I will fill the whole world with blessings. And remove pain from some people in honor of your great compassion. Because Hashem put inside us this middah, which is called Mikael Kamaycha. I'll give you another example. The name of this middah is called Noise Avon. Noise Avon means, Hashem says, I bear sin. I, I carry sin. What does it mean that He carries sin? It means that Hashem is saying, you know, me and you, I'm, you don't know everything I know. When you do an Avera, when you sin, when someone else sin, they don't know the nature and the description of which type and genre of destructive angel you created with your sin. You don't know what he's capable of doing because you don't know the consequences of your sin. Only I know. And when that destructive angel gets created from your sin or someone else's sin, they have a terrible urge to hurt the source of their creation because destructive angels don't like their life. They're like terrorists. They hate themselves. And the only way they find um, refuge and the only way they find some um, respite for their chaotic existence is by getting back and paying revenge and hurting the source of their creation, which is the person who created them through their sin. That's what they want. That's the only way they find revenge. But Hashem has hope that the person who sinned will still do tshuva and repent. So meanwhile, who is holding in check and controlling these angels from letting loose? It has to be Hashem. Because he's the only one who has the power to hold them from, from letting loose. So Hashem is a noise to heaven. He carries the sin. He holds it. He holds them tight, tight, tight to make sure they don't let loose. Because once they let loose, that's it. Hashem says when somebody hurts you very, very deeply, if you are willing to wait and not to let loose your anger and resentment and your aggression to hurt them back, in that minute you are so great that Hashem says, I can reward you and the whole world and shower unknown people who are suffering and they are not known to you from your merit that you created by being godly now and copying my middle in this now, from this merit it is so powerful that I can heal people and make poor people rich and people can have salvations because 
on the amount of merit you produce now by copying me because I put this middle inside you because that's me, that's who I am. I'm reminding myself of a story when I was a, a girl, a teenager. My sister's a few years older than me was engaged and she went with my other sister to look for clothing and um, my mother came up to my room somebody had a woman had very very um, verbally been very very abusive to her and, and aggressive and really really screamed at her in my house I heard it like three floors down she was very angry at my mother blaming my mother for something that she never did wrong and she was like really, 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 really disgusting. She was going on and on and on. And my mother couldn't defend herself in front of this woman. There was no chance. So, and then when she was done, she left. My mother came up to my room because in my room there was, um, it was overlooking a lake and it would calm her down. It's a very pretty lake. And she was sitting down and she didn't know what to do with her hurt emotion. And she was trying to calm herself down. And she was a little bit crying. I felt very, very bad for her. There was nothing I could say. She was too... And she, I saw she opened a tehillim. And she was like, I guess, trying to use up her pain to daven for what she needed at the time. When she was in her tehillim, suddenly my two sisters came up. And they were very shaken up. They had just been involved in a car accident. And they were unhurt. So while she was, thought she was saying to him for I don't know who, what, where it went, she was actually saving her two girls' lives. And a very powerful effect because it actually, she took her hurt and did the right thing with it. And she didn't respond and, and she really went up, ended up saving her own kids' lives. One was the color, one was the sister. And what tragedy she averted. So, in, in other words, to sum up today's class, what we are walking away with is that the oneness of Hashem and Hashem putting these middles in us and making it smooth and easy for us, that He is always easily and accessible to us, gives us the opportunity to become as great as we can. And the fact that Hashem rewards so greatly for people who control their uh, desires to hurt back when they're being hurt, the other side of the same coin is that it shows that Hashem deeply validates how painful it is to be hurt. Otherwise, He wouldn't reward so disproportionately, so magnanimously, I'm going to heal people that you never heard of just because you controlled yourself in your, at your kitchen sink because you took the hurt and you didn't hurt someone else in privacy. It's huge. I mean, we find ourselves so helpless to heal the sick or to um, provide money for poor or for others. And suddenly we're not helpless anymore. Suddenly we are creators. Suddenly we're capable of doing that. And it also shows how deeply Hashem understands our need to be easily and naturally and happily and pleasurably connected and bonded with people. Our need 
our craving for natural closeness is so great that when when somebody insults us, which is a revelation that the person doesn't want to be close with us and wants to distance themselves from us and is rejecting us, it's such a deep source of pain for us that Hashem validates that pain and when we control ourselves by being compassionate to that person in the right time, he rewards us so magnanimously, which forces us to ask ourselves, what is the reason that it's so important for us to be loved by everyone? Like that the Pasuk is saying, by Yarashem ki leo, Hashem saw that leo is hated by Yaakov, by Yiftak Hashem as Rachma, he gave her children. Now, of course, Yaakov Avinu was the biggest tzaddik, didn't hate anybody. You know not to hate your wife. If you hate her, you can't live with her. But the Ramban says that her comparing herself to how he is treating Rachel was so painful for her because of the contrast, was so obvious that he feels more closely bonded, more naturally closely bonded to Rachel, was so painful to her that he doesn't feel so naturally close to her that it made her feel unloved, it made her feel rejected. And Hashem validated that pain so much that he is describing that she felt hated. Even in reality, he didn't hate her. He's tuning into her deep feeling. And the deep, it says in sources, why was it that way? Because the honest truth was, he didn't have a, such an easy, natural connection to Rachel. wasn't so much his type, as we say. Leah taught him a lot of good things in his life, and he had kids with her, and they built a beautiful home, and she complimented a part of his soul that needed bringing out, and only she knew how to do that. But it wasn't an easy, natural, pleasant, organic experience, like just slid in. And it was hard for her and for him, not so that even though they had a certain uh, connection because Hashem wanted that shit up because they needed to bring out certain parts in each other's soul. But it doesn't mean it was so easy and so natural. With Rachel, they had an easy language. They understood each other, the type of language they created, the personality they were, the soul bonding was just easy. But what we learn from here also is that Hashem created us in a way that we are desperate to feel one with others in an easy, natural way. The good news is that you can always feel one easily and naturally with Hashem because you and Him are one. And He has expressed Himself hundreds and hundreds of times in our scriptures how He deliberately wants to be close with us. Jewish nation and feels close with us and feels that we are close to him and his family his children the way he expresses you're my sister, you're my brother you're my mother, you're my spouse, you're my beloved you're my everything so since he so deeply desires to be close with us wants to be one with us put himself into us gave us the virtues that we need to be able to use as instruments to feel and actualize our closeness and one with him, it's going to be an easy relationship due to his oneness, which pagan gods are never going to have with their gods.
no matter what. To never be able to express that oneness. Okay, thank you so much.